Hi, this is Corey Turner. And along with my wife, Simone, we are the senior pastors of Numa Church. I wanted to thank you for listening to our podcast today. You're about to hear a message from one of our team that we pray builds your faith and empowers you to follow Jesus more closely. Enjoy the message. Thank you, guys. The pressure is on. Awesome. Please take your seat. You know, even as I was just walking up, I was just thinking, I am the sum total of the investment every single father and mother in the Lord has made into my life. And they would kill to be here in this house today to see this happen, because a lot of people thought I'd either be behind bars or I'd be dead. I actually thought that would happen. But praise God, He had other plans. So if you're going through the biggest crisis in your life, you just tell yourself, if that guy can make it, I can make it too. Awesome. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your presence. We sense it. We feel it. We hear your whisper. We feel the breath of our Father in heaven moving around this place. And whether we are near or far, you are always with us. You promised us. What we hold in our hands is not pen and ink to paper, but it is the breath of God on a page. And so, Father, we acknowledge and we say that the word of a man will not be heard in this place, but the voice of God will be felt, heard, received, and embraced. So, Father, we thank you. As the word is open, let hearts be open. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you for the warm encouragement. I love it. If I, f- if I feel a bit rusty, um, we have a complaints department. It's Pastor Corey Turner. I have a question for you all to begin off, to kick the proceedings. The question is, if you had only one week to live, what would be on your bucket list? And people are thinking, this guy's begun left to feel already. Ask yourself that question. If you only had one week left to live, what would be on your bucket list? Some of you would engage in the nicest food available in Melbourne. Thank you, Jesus. Some of you would engage in the best coffee in Melbourne. Thank you, Jesus. Some of you would call friends and enemies and frenemies and family and write letters and journals. Some of you would just jump up on Instagram and start a countdown. That is awesome too. No condemnation there. And someone like me, I might go and hit the best kebabs in town. And I might also take up on that skydiving lesson which I didn't take. You know, when the stats of a, an average human life are broken down, of an 80-year lifespan, it's interesting what the researchers found. You spend 26 years of your life sleeping. And another seven years trying to fall asleep. That's me. You spend 16 years at work. You spend 12 years on screen time. You spend six years eating eight for me, and that leaves you with about 10 years. Very sobering numbers. And it's in those 10 years that you pack your bags, go on a holiday. Thanks to COVID, that's not happening. Um, And it's in those 10 years you get married and have kids and do all the other things in life. Very sobering fact. And yet when you ask people, hey, how's your life? And they'd say, oh man, hectic. Or you ask someone else, they'd say, I'm having a busy life. 
and you ask someone else, they'd say, I'm having a good life. You know, the world promises a life of abundance if you have money, status, image, or even liberated sexual experiences. Every experience is available on a long line of buffet, free. Come one, come all, have all that you want. Yet we are more empty than ever before. Nowhere in the history of humanity have people been more depressed, lonely, broken, and without purpose. It almost feels like one of those master chef dishes, big plate, fancy plate, little food in the center. <laughs> have you ever wondered what's the deal with that? You pay a bomb, and I, I'm a guy who likes value for money, and I'm thinking to myself, $150 for that? Yeah, just please put it in here. Plenty never satisfying. So much on the menu, yet empty. And in the midst of that, there's another person who sticks out like a sore thumb from, from eternity in human history and says, you know what, I have another deal for you. So let's turn to the book of John chapter 10, verse 10 and 11. The thief comes only to steal and to kill and to destroy. That's interesting, Jesus. I'm yet to meet a thief who came to tuck someone in bed. I'm yet to meet a thief who actually came to do your dishes. I'm yet to see a thief who was found to be in the newspaper who actually came to sing some lullaby. So thank you, Jesus, for the reaffirmation. The thief comes to steal, to kill, and to take away. But then Jesus says, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. No one has said that. No Gandhi, no Mandela, no Pope has said that. But only Jesus said, I have come that they may have life and life in all its abundance. You know, this week, Christians all over the world will be celebrating the Passion Week, beginning with Palm Sunday. They made it all cute, you know, with palm branches and, you know, all the festivities. You know, if you go back in history, as Jesus entered Jerusalem and there was this massive fanfare, he was actually entering his death sentence. From that point in time, he had only five days to live. And yet you see a man on a mission, a man with purpose, a man driven, a man who was not found to be kicking and screaming as he was being dragged, a man who lived his life to the fullest. And I thought to myself, well, you never know when you're going but I don't want to go kicking and screaming. I want to go in a praise party. And I want to go like Jesus did. I don't want to be crucified, though. <laughs> you know, they say the average Aussie is expected to live 4,300 weeks. Sorry, my bad. <laughs> that coffee is yet to hit the head. And I thought to myself, what if we could live every week of our life to the fullest? And therefore, in that study of, of the book of John, I actually stumbled upon a few key things that Jesus practiced all throughout his life, and in particular, even on the last week. Tick tock, tick tock, Jesus was not under stress. And I want to bring to you and unpack four key things that are the source of abundance that Jesus taught, even on his final week. Just give your neighbor an elbow and say, I hope you're listening. So number one, 
Jesus prioritized the kingdom of God. John chapter 5, verse 34, Jesus says, My food is to do the will of him, my Father, who sent me and to accomplish his work. You know, amid the chaos and the adulation from the crowd, Hail Jesus, you're welcome, you're awesome. That's how people are. One minute they say awesome, the next minute they want to crucify you. And in the midst of that, Jesus didn't get carried away. You don't see Jesus coming like, oh, yep, thank you. Thank you all. I'm here. He didn't ride in a blaze of glory. He actually came to fulfill mission. Because Jesus' focus was the kingdom of God. It was front and center in his eyes, and nothing could take it away from him. Now, earlier this year, we did the Kingdom Come series. Pastor Corey unpacked the priority of the kingdom of God. You know, Matthew chapter 6, verse 33 says, Seek first the kingdom of God. You know, God's inviting each one of us gathered here and beyond to be a partner with the kingdom of God to bear eternal fruit. Now, for those of you who didn't attend that series, you might be asking, well, what is the kingdom of God? The kingdom of God is the rule and reign of King Jesus in all the areas of my life, my ambitions, my relationships, my ministry, my work, my thoughts, my ethics, my values, and above all, my finances. Why finances? I thought God had everything. Well, finances begin in the heart. And the kingdom of God begins here. And that's why we need to arrest and bring into submission everything that wrestles in our heart. You know, even we are in a time of vision. You know, those of you who have been able to partner in giving to the vision offering, I salute you. You have my biggest respect. If you have not yet had that opportunity, I invite you to take. I grew up as the only child of my parents, and I have never seen a self more selfish kid than myself. And it was so hard to actually have this preached to me saying, bring your finances to obedience. Bring it to submission. I'm selfish. Don't take my kebab. Don't take my money, God. But it has been the biggest blessing to walk in obedience and submission. And never have I ever been more blessed than when I have brought my resources to God and said, God, you've put me as a steward. Here it is. You know, every kingdom will have a sunset. But the kingdom of God, the sun never sets on the kingdom of God. Alexander the Great had three dying wishes. Number one, he called his generals and said, guys, I am going to go pear-shaped in a while. I have three wishes. Number one, is have the physicians carry me to the, the grave. Why? Because let it be known that no doctor can prolong your life. Number two, he said, have all my silver and rubies and precious diamonds scattered on the way to the grave. Why is that, sir? That's because... None of the riches that I have, I'll get to take beyond the grave. And the last thing he said is, have my hands out dangling out of the coffin. And why is that, sir? Because I conquered much, yet take nothing. You know, some of you here, and I mean, all of you here, including myself, we are not called to a kingdom like Alexander, to have a kingdom. But every believer is invited to participate and be a part and parcel of a kingdom that does not perish or pass away. The second thing that we see in the life of Jesus, he lived a life of prayer. John chapter 17 talks about 
Jesus lifting his eyes up to heaven and saying, Father, mission accomplished, now glorify your son. You know, 17 chap verse, chapter 17, verse 1, when Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted his eyes to heaven and said, Father. You know, the Gospels record that Jesus had a gold standard of prayer. He prayed at every juncture of his ministry. He prayed before a meal. He prayed before a miracle. After a miracle, he prayed before taking important decisions of his life. He prayed when he was grieving, and he also prayed right before he was being taken away for crucifixion. Jesus taught his disciples the importance of prayer. Jesus also taught them how to pray. And it's significant to note, among the 12 disciples, the 12 dudes who hung out with Jesus, only one asked, so teach us how to pray. As a church, one of our kingdom culture value is prayer. And the reason why we value prayer personally and corporately is because of this, that prayer is the only all-weather coat that has a lifetime warranty. It doesn't fade. It doesn't crack. It doesn't peel off. Come hail or storm, it still stands there. You know, I am yet to meet, and I challenge everybody here, have you ever met a person who is entrenched in prayer, yet their life is in chaos? I'm yet to meet that one person who lives an absolute gold standard of prayer, and their life is in absolute turmoil. Does that mean they don't have the challenges of life? Or you bet, everyone has challenges, including the one who prays, but... The one who prays will always overcome. They are resilient. They are buoyant. They will bounce back and they will be found standing. You know, there's a reason why Jesus prayed before his darkest hour. And you see that right as in the Garden of Gethsemane as he's on his knees. He's literally heaving the weight of it all. And it, Scripture says that drops of sweat almost looked like drops of blood coming out of his body. Yet when he persisted in prayer, there's a change and a shift. And the Jesus who was troubled comes out after that session saying, let's go. You know, and that's what we need. When we face the storms of life, the challenges of life, we need to be found on our knees. And we need to have prayer as our first response, not as our last resort. And that is why we invite every service, every time we gather, this is holy ground. This is not the altar of a man. This is the place, the meeting point, the junction where you invade, the, the junction where you have an encounter with the presence of God. So when this altar is open, come running. Don't be scared. Don't be shy. No one's going to put a spell on you, but you're going to have an encounter with the King of Kings. The third thing that you see is Jesus was clothed in humility. John chapter 13 verse 14 says, If I then as your Lord and teacher washed your feet, then you also ought to wash one another's feet. You know, no leader past or present has ever set a more beautiful example of humility than Jesus. No pope, no pastor, no teacher, no one on earth has set a better example of humility than Jesus. You know, the Pharisees at that time, they liked to lord over people. And they loved to subjugate their people. And you see that from time to time, even in our world, people of power, when there's an imbalance of power, people love to dominate others. 
Yet in the middle of that, Jesus is inviting us as believers, as sons and daughters, to represent the humility of heaven. Jesus had the same humility that God the Father had. For God so loved the world that he was able to bank on the only thing he had to win you and me. That came from a place of humility. You know, humility is not a t-shirt that you wear to church once a week, but it's like your skin. It's evident wherever you go. Be it to work, to school, to home, to the cafe, to the restaurant, when someone cuts you in traffic, when someone stands in front of you elsewhere and says something accusatory, you'd still say, yep, peace be to you. You know, it's been a year since I left the aviation industry. I left fixing planes for a living to fixing people. Same, same, but not the same. And one of the things that we used to do on a regular basis is we'd jack up the plane on jacks and we'd swing the landing gears in and out just to see if everything's working. This is a little secret I'm telling you. Don't, don't ask, when you're flying, don't ask your pilots or your cabin crew or all these secrets that I'm sharing with you, okay? So we do this on a regular basis. Why? Because no matter how high you saw a life, because if you don't have a landing gear when you're coming back to land, it'll be Operation Bear Shape. <laughs> and that got me thinking, no matter how high you saw, no matter how fast you saw, no matter how beautiful you saw, if you don't have humility, it'll make for a spectacular crash landing. And that is why even in 1 Peter 5, 5, Jesus says, I mean, Peter says, clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility towards one another. And the last thing that I see in this scripture, in, in going through the book of John, I see Jesus was very generous and extravagant in forgiving. John chapter 21, verse 19, he has a simple exchange with Peter. And after saying all of this, he said to him, Peter, follow me. Hang on a second, Jesus. Let me put the handbrakes there for a minute. You mean the Peter who stabbed you three times? You mean the guy who denied you three times just a few days ago? You mean the guy who started cussing and swearing, saying, I don't know this, Jesus? You mean that guy follow him? Now, if I was Jesus, I'd have unfriended Peter immediately. I would have unfollowed him, deleted him, and blocked him on my phone. And I would have sent him a nasty SMS saying, you Brutus. <laughs> Jesus felt the pain. He felt the rejection. He felt the disappointment and the betrayal. But it was only in forgiving Peter was he able to give Peter a fresh start, a new start. He wiped the slate clean and he said, Peter, follow me. Let's try it again. And we ought to give people a fresh start. We ought to give people, we ought to be able to be believers, sons and daughters who wipe the slate clean and say, let's try that again. Imagine if your friend betrayed you for 30 pieces of silver, equivalent to $600 today. Imagine if someone had handed you over to execution for $600. Jesus felt that. If Jesus didn't practice forgiveness, he would have been the most bitter person on planet Earth. You know, too often we lock people in the prison of our heart. We lock people in our heart and that's why more often than once our heart resembles an overcrowded prison. 
You know, offense happens in families. It happens in marriages. It happens in workplaces. It happens amongst friends. And surprise, surprise, it also happens in church. It's interesting how they say offense is like a fence. Let's look to the screen for a short clip to see what a life without forgiving looks like. That's us at times. You know, sometimes, and this is a very sobering thing, sometimes the offense says more about us than it does about the other person. Sometimes there's more to be learned and observed in us when we hold people prisoner. When we hold people captive, sometimes it's us who needs the freedom. It's us who maybe need to be released. You know, it's only in the person of Jesus that we have forgiveness. There's no other name by which man shall be saved, but only through the name of Jesus. And it is only with his help that we are able to forgive others. There may be someone who snatched your coffee, and that's probably easy to forgive. But there's someone who's literally left you with scarred memories for a lifetime. And not the best counselor, not the best self-help book will help you get through that. But only the person of Jesus. You know, we're heading into a week where we are reminded of Jesus' death and resurrection for our sins. Before we leave this place, we need to be asking ourselves this question. Am I living out of the empty vacuum or lack of the world? Or am I living with the abundance and fullness that Jesus promised? Nine years ago, around the same time, I couldn't make it to my dad's deathbed by his side. And I was in an airplane and I was shot by an hour. By the time I'd reached, he'd passed away. And as the only son, I was expected to step up and manage grief of the family, of the relatives, and the whole thing. And then over the next few days, I had to manage the, the burial, the funeral, and the, everything else. As a man, you're not told how to cry or express your grief. And then when the dust had settled down, I sat down with my mom and I asked her, what were the final moments like? This is what she said. She said, as, because she was a medical professional, she knew that he was about to transition to the other side. So even as he was drawing to his last moments, Mom started playing some worship music in the background on a phone, and she said to my dad, why don't you sing along? These were his last words. He said, they have come for me. Now I will sing on the other side. It is when I heard that reality of eternity came hitting me. Till then, all the good stories that I read in the Bible as a Christian boy were just stories. It is only at that point I realized, like, wow, there is another life. There is eternity. There is an abundant life beyond this life here. And so I began to think, I don't know when my time comes, but I want to live an abundant life. And I started, even as I prepared this message, I started looking at the life of my dad. For 30 years, he led an underground church in an Islamic nation in Saudi Arabia. He was a very forgiving person. He was a very generous person. He was clothed with humility. Every morning, 4.30 in the morning, whether you liked it or not, summer or winter, he would wake you up and make you pray. That hour-long prayer was the most crucial. It was like almost going for a firing squad session. You would sit there and you couldn't fall asleep because he would knock you up. <laughs> and I praise God for fathers and mothers in this house who would do that. Because you are making a mark on 
history. You're raising history makers. You're not just raising children who will grow up to be successful, put some money in the bank, and one day transition to the other side. You're making a mark on history. And even today as we stood here and the church prayed and partnered, we believe that every single child who is in Numa Church will be a history maker. They will transform the world and the gates of hell will not prevail over them. You know, death is inevitable for every prince and pauper, every king and every commoner. It doesn't discriminate between nationality, color, gender, faith, beliefs, education, or bank balance. For everyone sitting here, including me, we will have to reckon with our last week, the final week. That count of 4,300 weeks will come to an end to the last week. And when it does, we need to reckon. Some of us will never even see it coming, but some of us might see it coming. And this is not a doom and gloom message, but this is a message of hope. A hope through Jesus. That is why God has called us to live a life of purpose, of worth, of honor, of dignity and eternity. As we read in the start, John chapter 10 verse 10 said, I have come to give life and life in abundance. When we put the kingdom of God first, when we live a life entrenched in prayer, when we live a life with humility, and when we are able to forgive others, we are truly, truly, truly living an abundant life. Only a life that is lived in a manner that places Jesus as the cornerstone will go beyond the tombstone. And I was just wondering if we could all be standing up to our feet and I'd invite the worship team to come up on platform and join us. It's those four things that we need to remember. Placing the kingdom of God first. Priority, front and center. Am I living a life of prayer and intimacy with God? Am I living a life of humility? And am I living a life that loves and serves others? And am I living a life that is quick to forgive in an instant? Sometimes it's a journey, but I'm still willing. Thank you for joining us for this message today. We don't assume that every person listening has a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And so today, we invite you to begin following Jesus as your Lord and Savior. The Bible teaches that every one of us has been created for a relationship with God. Sin has separated us from that relationship, but God loved us so much that He gave us His one and only Son, Jesus Christ. Jesus lived, died, and rose again, conquering sin, Satan, and death itself. If we believe in our hearts that God has raised Jesus from the dead and we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, we will be saved. So if you are ready to pray in faith, turning away from your sin and believing in Jesus for your salvation, please pray this prayer. Dear Jesus, I believe that you are the Son of God and I ask you to forgive me and cleanse my heart from all of my sin. I receive by faith the free gift of eternal life and I ask that you would fill me with the Holy Spirit. I thank you that I am born again as a child of God and that you have made me a new creation in Christ Jesus. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. If you have prayed that prayer for the first time, we would love to know and help connect you to a local church in your area. You can contact us on our website, numa.church. Thank you for listening.